He is so good today, and welcome home. We're so glad you're here this morning. We're glad you're in Columbus. We're glad that you're joining us online today. And as I mentioned just a little bit ago, we're in a series called Kingdom Eyes, and we've been talking throughout this series about the the goal as believers is to pursue seeing like Jesus sees. Pursue seeing like Jesus sees. Let's say that together in both locations. Pursue seeing as Jesus sees. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is seeing our failures through the eyes of redemption. Jesus, through his eyes and through kingdom eyes, wants to take our failures and bring about redemption. And so this morning, we're excited. We have a special guest with us. Um, His name is Austin Vanover. Many of you know Dylan Robinson. And if you're new today and maybe don't know Dylan, Dylan was the youth pastor at our church uh, for two years, felt God's call to leave our church Um, and went to Springfield, Missouri, and planted a church there in Springfield. And now they have a few different campuses, and God is doing some amazing things. And out of that, they started something called Redemption Ministry, which is a recovery program for people who are struggling with addiction and different kinds of issues in their life. And through that course of events, Austin Vanover got connected to the church And God just radically changed his life and changed his story. And so we want to welcome Austin as he comes and shares his story with us today. Man, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Man, if you would, just give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what he's doing in and through his people. I believe that America is on the verge of revival. I believe that God is awakening his people. I believe that God is redeeming. We're seeing hundreds, I mean hundreds of people being rescued from addictions, prostitutes, people that you, the most broken of people, are being restored in Springfield, Missouri. And I don't believe that it's limited to there. I believe that God is wanting to do that all across the world. Amen. And I have to believe whenever Kyle called me here that God was wanting to do something here in Pittsburgh, Kansas this morning and in Columbus, even though I'm not there in person, I'm there in spirit this morning. And and I believe that this morning that no matter what kind of failures that you've had, no matter what kind of uh, obstacles your life has brought, no matter if it's addiction, struggle with pornography, struggle with self-identity, no matter if it's your, your marriage, whatever kind of problems you're dealing with, God is here this morning to help you through them. Amen. God is wanting to speak to you just because my story may not look like yours. Amen. God is wanting to do something identical to you, and that is save you, set you free, sanctify you, and redeem you. Amen. Glory to God. I feel the Holy Spirit in this place this morning. I might preach a little bit, Kyle. Oh, man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And I I just as I get ready to tell this story of redemption, man, isn't it an honor that we have been saved by God's shed blood on Calvary? Amen. Oh, he took them. He took them. He took them lashes and he took them nails through his hands that he could save people like me and you. And as I think about Jesus and what he did, man, he sat with sinners. Amen. He sat with the he sat with the uh, the divorced. He sat with the broken. He sat with the people that secretly dealt with all kinds of insecurities. He sat with the the tattooed. Amen. He sat with the the ones that people didn't want to be around. And that was me. Amen. That was my whole, that's been my whole life. I was the one that people didn't want to be, you didn't want to have your kids around you, me. You didn't want to hang out with me. You stayed far away from me. That's the kind of story that I have all the way up to now. Amen. 
God has done something radical in my life, and I just want to tell about it. But Revelations 12, 11 tells us that we have been made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Did you know that whatever story you have, you might feel like your story is very insignificant, but I promise you that it has the handprints of God in it somewhere. Amen? There's, there's something that God has done for you that's unique and, and, and that you can identify that other people, are, uh, that other people can get from something from amen and and that's what I fight every single day I fight with my testimony and hundreds of people have been saved because of my life I mean hundreds of people have been saved because of my testimony and what God has radically done in me and I come to inspire you this morning that wherever whatever your story looks like whatever your story looks like that you would begin to use your testimony against the devil our enemy our adversary he doesn't like you he wants you to go where he's going he has an eternal resting place he has an eternal resting place in hell and he's trying to take as many people with him but we have a story that we can fight back and counter that with that we don't have to go where he's going amen and it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that I'm sitting here today I should be dead I should be dead I shouldn't be here preaching no kind of nothing. I shouldn't have no mic in my hand. I should be in prison. I should be dead. I should be casted far out from society. But God looked upon me, and he didn't see my failure. He seen my purpose. He seen my calling. Amen. And as I get going, I'm going to... I'm going to get into a little bit of my story this morning about my childhood. Man, my childhood uh, wasn't the white picket fence with the dog and, you know, the, 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 the home style that people come home to cook dinners and, you know, get tucked to bed. My story isn't like that. My story was my mother, as a child, I was left on the front step of my grandmother's house and my, my dad was left to take care of me and my brother and... Uh, my mother was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and my dad was addicted to alcohol, and he had his running with the life. So very early in age, I was all over the place, all over the place. We was never sev- settled anywhere. Um, and then early, like, after my mother left, of course, my dad took the call to raise me and my brother, and he, he, he did the best that he could as a single father. And eventually, you know, he found him a step uh, a, a wife, and uh, gets married, and I, you know, we come into my stepmother's home. I come into my stepmother's home, me and my brother, and she's a, you know, she's a school teacher. She teaches us how to, you know, she begins to work with me and my brother, and she, she loves on us like a mother. She, she uh, teaches us how to, you know, she teaches us the basics of learning and all that. And anyways, uh, you know, we, we, Childhood started to get good, you know. Childhood was beginning to seem a little normal, you know what I'm saying? I had two stepbrother or stepbrother and a stepsister and my brother and you know life seemed like it was good, you know what I mean? We had fun, we always played, you know. Uh we got I finally started having them home cooked meals, you know, and uh you know, stepmom was there to tuck us in at night, you know. So things started changing. And that went on for, you know, for about about five or six years, about six years that went on, and things started to begin to things begin to change in the home. Uh, my mother wasn't acting the same. My stepmother wasn't acting the same. And remind you that my my brew mother was absent for most of this time. And uh, anyways, my uh, stepmother began to act differently, and you know, 
her behaviors wasn't the same. You know what I'm saying? You could tell that things were different, and my dad and her would always fight and argue, and, you know, there's a lot of conflict in the home, and eventually they got a divorce. And here we go again. My dad's packing us up, you know, and, and we're leaving. And uh, in this, this stage of life, I was about 11 years old at this time. And already I was smoking cigarettes. You know, I, mean, I was still in cigarettes from then, like age eight. But when they got a divorce is when things started to shift. Um, I had begun to find, like, marijuana and stuff in their room. And I would go and I'd smoke it. You know what I mean? I, I'd smoke this stuff. And, and uh, I started using drugs at the age of 11. I started getting drunk drunk at age 11. I was smoking. I was cussing. You know, I was that bad kid. You know, I was the kid that you asked your parents if I could come stay the night. They said, no, no, don't hang out with, you're going to be grounded with if you hang out with this dude. Like, that's how bad I was. I was the bad kid on the block. And, you know, I was rebellion. You know, there was a lot of dysfunction in the home. There was a lot of, you know, due to the dysfunction, I felt like, you know, there wasn't a lot of intimacy with me and my, you know, my dad and affection, you know. And uh, there's a lot of absence of my dad. My dad's now left t- to take care of me and my brother. So he had to work and his job required him to be gone at nights. And through that, I was unsupervised a lot. I had a lot of unsupervision. <laughs> like, there was no supervision at all from 7 o'clock at night to the morning. I, I, at the age of 12, I was putting myself to sleep. I was cooking my own food. I was doing my own laundry. I was getting myself up and getting myself to the school bus on my own. Every once in a while, Grandma or Grandpa come down there and get me up if I was l- late to school too many days, you know. But I was left to take care of myself and it wasn't you know at that time I couldn't blame my dad I knew that he was struggling and anyways we we moved out of our uh the town that my stepmother was in we moved to another town and man I started going out into society and into this community and into this community that I was moved into there was a lot of drug use a lot of people like manufacturing drugs at that time was very big like uh Every per, you know, you could count one out of every five people was probably manufacturing drugs in this this era of time. And uh, at the age of fourteen, I started using methamphetamines, started intravenously using meth, and and I my life just went into a whirlwind of things. And uh, I started stealing, I started drug dealing, I started hanging out with the people that that you shouldn't be around. You know, and this led me to being incarcerated. I was incarcerated, I think, four or five times by the, the age of 15 years old. You know, like I would spend weekends in jail all the time. I would I'd beat up my friends. I beat up people that I didn't like or say things. And I was just, I was all the time just being in trouble. And I didn't care. I didn't care what life brought me at that time. I was very hurt inside. I was lost. I was, I was Man, I was broken. I was broken at this time. My family was separated. I watched my dad. He drank all the time. My mother was gone. She's never around. And I found an outlet through using drugs and alcohol and sleeping around at a very early age. That's what I did. I found my connection with the things of this world. 
very early. And I mentioned in the first service about something that we, t- we hear and, and we read about in the Bible. It talks about generational curses. It talks about curses put on my family. And I believe that a lot of the, the stuff that I was dealing with was due to what my parents did and what my grandparents did and, and, and just that cycle. And I believe that many people here today and in Columbus probably have dealt with that cycle you know what I mean? That cycle of addiction, that same thing that goes over and over. You did it. Your kids did it. Now their kids are doing it. We see that a lot in society today, and that's what we was dealing with. We have to put a stop to this curse, right? We have to put a stop to this generational curse, and it starts with you. It starts with you. And at this time, my parents, you know what I mean? They wasn't stopping anytime soon, so, you know, uh, I found my influence in the streets connected to gangs, drug dealing, violence, anything that you can think of. I was engaged with it. By the age of uh, 16, I was going to prison for my first time. I, I, I got caught selling drugs in school. I had some assault charges. They come and they locked me up and they sent me to prison at the age of 16. And remind you, at this time I had been to I've been to jail more than you can count on both hands by that time and uh went to school they told me I could never go back to school like Missouri schools that I was permanently kicked out so the only option I had now was to get my GD so while I was locked up that's what I did I went in there and I studied and I got my GD and I I was I was good you know I mean I didn't have to worry about going to school so when I got out I was an adult by this time and uh and when I got out, I was trying to make the, like, while I was in jail, of course, you know, begin to think. And I was thinking about going to the Army at this time. I was like 17, almost 18. I was wanting to, you know, do something different. I was like, I'm going to go to the Army. <laughs> I want to go to the Army. So I get out, and I go, and I take my ASVAB test, and I pass it. But then I had to have a consent for me to go. My dad still had to sign a consent. So out of all the guys on that bus, there's like six or seven of us. I was the only one that had to come back because I didn't have a consent to go. And that right there just, I was like, why? You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to do what's right and this didn't work. So within that week, guys, like I was all right. Within a week's time, I was back using meth, manufacturing drugs, and in the streets as hard as I could ever be. Like as fully engaged with it as I could ever be. And my life begins to have this whirlwind around it. Like I was literally hell on wheels whenever you talk, hear that statement. That's how I was. I was going and doing everything destructive around me. I was using every person that I could. I was, I was using as much drugs as I could. Um, man, I think by the age of 18, I had overdosed like six times on drugs, hospitalized, having to be revived, stomach pumped, mental hospitals, everything you think of. Like I was going through it and I didn't care. It didn't stop me at that time. Um, about the age of 21, after a, like I get out at 17 and, and I go on this run for about four years of just using drugs. Every, I'll use drugs every single day. There wasn't a day that I woke up that I did not use or drink alcohol. I was completely intoxicated every single day for over four years. That's not exaggerating. That's not a lie. 
Like, there was nothing that stopped me because I wasn't going to jail anymore. I was just getting high all the time. And, like, my mind was so far gone. Like, I thought I would never, ever come back from the place that I did. And I end up, about the age of 21, end up still in my grandfather's truck. I'm getting caught by the cops. I'm on the run by the law, and I end up going to jail. Well, within this period of time, within this period of time, my mother, which was been a, I think, twenty plus years of using methamphetamines at this time, she writes me a letter while I was in jail, and she talks about her getting saved. She talks about going to church and how Jesus saved her. And me, like, I wasn't raised in church, like. I might have went once or twice, you know what I mean, a year with my grandma because she asked me. But church wasn't something that, like, I was the dude that probably made fun of Christians and said stupid stuff, you know what I mean? That was who I was. I, like, I didn't know nothing about God or anything like that. So when my mom told me this, I laughed, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, like, I just thought she was, you know, I just thought she was full of baloney like she's always been you know what I mean like she had told me all this stuff all my life about how she was changing and then you know what I mean she'd do it and then you know what I mean she'd mess up again she'd do it and I just seen it so I I didn't take it serious well I get out of jail and I had nowhere to go my dad's side of the family didn't want me around I just stole grandpa's truck you know and just out here doing horrible things. They didn't want me nowhere around their house. You know, they didn't want me around, and they just completely cut off, cut me off. I said, look, you don't come around here. Don't call us. We don't want nothing to do with you. Go. So me being the manipulator that I am, I called my mom. I was like, Mom, I need a place to go. She's like, you can come here, but there's stipulations. She's like, you got to go to church. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> like, church? Well, me, already my wheels are turning. Like I'm like, what can I do? So I was like, I want to I go to church. You know what I mean? I want to go to church, but I'm still do what I want to do. And that's what I did. I went to church with her. She drugged me around. Let me tell you, she was serious about it. She, you ever met that Christian that just finds God, and they're at every service of every denomination possible known to man, and they're posting a million things about everything, and you're like, When's this going to stop? That was her. Like, she was everywhere, and she was taking me with her. <laughs> she made me go. She's like, you staying at the house? I'm feeding you. You coming with me. Well, me, I, the whole time I was getting high, I'd be getting high in the church bathroom. I would, you know what I mean? I, I stayed high that whole time, and I played church. i go to church, do what she wanted. I had a place to stay. Well... Things quickly begin to change. Isn't it funny how the Holy Spirit begins to work on us and, and do miraculous things? Well, at this point in my story, I was about 21 years old. I've never had an encounter with God. I've never really felt the Holy Spirit that I could identify that it was the Spirit of God, you know. And I had been going through the motions, doing the same thing over and over and over, just playing with my life and just playing with fire, and just doing the same thing over and over and over. And I kept coming back to this place, you know. Well, this day, like it was a Sunday night, I can remember distinctly, it was Sunday night and we get back from church and I go outside and I'm, I'm trying to keep it PG-13 for the kids. And I was out there smoking some weed and I get out there and the whole, I felt bad for it. Like, 
I had that guilty feeling. Any of y'all ever had that like just gut-wrenching feeling like, man, this is bad. You know what conviction and guiltiness feels like? Well, I had it to where like I felt it in my body. Like it made me weak. Like it made me want to throw up. And it's the first time in my life that I ever felt bad. I've been smoking weed for uh, over a decade at this time. And it was the first time in my life that I ever felt bad for doing it. First time. And that night, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Austin, I'm going to change you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to set you free. And I want to show you that I'm real. And I went in there and I prayed. You know, I was in a, you know, a prayer warrior at this time. So there's very simple prayers, but they worked. I went in there. I said, God, if you're real, you'll deliver me from this heroin addiction, this meth addiction. You'll deliver me. Lord, you'll send me a job and you would help me. And you'd send me a wife or a girl is what I said at that time. And immediately, church, God began to work. I woke up that next morning, and I threw away the heroin. And I haven't touched heroin over seven years, eight years. And it's been a long time. And that morning, like, I woke up. I wasn't sick from the drugs. I, I, I didn't withdraw. I didn't have to go through that. God completely, he rescued me that morning. And things begin to change, man. Things begin to change in my life. This is the first time in my journey. When I tell you this stuff, like, there really wasn't, like, I'm giving you the true details to what my life looked like. Like, I couldn't come up with anything else. That's what my journey looked like my whole life. Like, there was very rarely any good pieces in this story up to this point. Like, as from a kid on up, man, I seen some hor horrible things. Like when my mom would come, I'd be in drug houses and stuff. Like I seen terrible stuff, and and and, and I didn't know anything other than this. This is how my story looked. This is what I had to walk through. But immediately upon praying those prayers, God began to work on me. John three eight or yeah, John three eighteen through nineteen says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because of their evil deeds. So all the way up to this point in my journey, all the way up into this point that we're I want to talk about condemnation real quick because it spoke to me this week. Condemnation means sentence to punishment. So all the way up into this point in my life when I was up to an age of accountability, I was walking through the sentence of punishment because of my belief in God all the way up into this point. But immediately upon me crying out to God and praying to God and asking him to save me, that punishment soon began to disappear. That condemnation that I was experiencing and facing, it soon began to wipe away. God began to fix it. God began to take me away from these things that always hurt me, that, that, that always punished me. I promise you, man, there was a lot of days that I, most days, almost 90% of them days, I did not want to get high, but it was the only thing that I knew. It was the only outlet that I could resolve to. It was the only thing that comforted me. My parents didn't want me around. My, I didn't have no real friends. And drugs was the only way out. It was the punishment that, that, that I put on myself. 
But immediately upon believing, it says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And I mentioned that this morning because maybe you know somebody here in Pittsburgh or in Columbus, or maybe it's you that's experiencing some kind of punishment. Maybe your, your, your marriage is going through turmoil. Maybe your kids are on drugs. Maybe, maybe uh, you have health problems or anything. We have to begin to pray and believe God for what he is in this. Because when we begin to believe God in these times that he can do the unmeasurable things, when he can do the impossible things like rescue a drug addict, like changing somebody's marriage, when we begin to believe God for that, the punishment that we was facing soon begins to disappear. And that's what I begin to experience at this point in my life immediately upon me believing in God for the first time in my life. For the very first time that I truly believed God, did he start working in my life, uh, I, got, I got married. I had a legit job. I started living, you know, to society's normals. You know what I mean? I could go out in public and not look like a fool. I looked crazy when I was high. I was about 140 pounds, soaking wet, just, I looked bad, you know, and I didn't look like a normal person. And, you know... Things begin to get better for me. This, this wife that I married, she, she was a pastor's daughter. Her dad had a church, and I get plugged in this church, and here comes God telling me I'm called to ministry, and he's, he's using other people in the church to say, hey, you're called to ministry. I'm like, look, I'm not a preacher. I was just cooking dope a couple months ago. Like, I'm not going to be a preacher. You do not want me preaching nothing. <laughs> But anyways, God began to change me, and I get plugged into this church, and I start working, and God begins to do, like, some crazy things. Like, and I start enjoying life. I have happiness back in my life, and I get ministry, start preaching and and dealing with the youth, and, you know, things were going good, but there was still something in me. My story has a lot of, like, back and forth to it. Can any of y'all relate? It's not really, you know, you're still holding on to some things that you don't want to really get rid of, but you know that you need to get rid of them. That was me. That was me. Like, I, I was preaching the gospel on Sunday, but I was smoking cigarettes when I'm leaving the parking lot. I'm watching pornography when I get free and, and away from my wife. And I'm, I'm every once in a while drinking and still using drugs and and trying to keep on to the things that I wanted to during this time. And that's the also in verse 19, it talks about that, and this is the condemnation that I was going to soon face, is that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. I, there was still something in me that loved that darkness more than what God had for me. There's still something in me that I had to let go of. And I pray tonight that if you're facing anything, or today, if you're facing anything that feels like some sort of punishment, that, that today that you begin to believe, God, that you begin to look deep within yourself to see if there's anything dark in you that you are holding on to. It's not limited to a drug addict, Kyle. It's not limited to any person. The darkness is out for all of us. There's every one of us in here have something that we need to be looking for in our lives to, to become better. 
Maybe there is something, that one thing in your life that's holding you back from your purpose and your calling. And see, I was called. I was called, but I still did not want to let go. And it brought me to a place that, that I, I started catching more charges in ministry. I caught another DWI. Got, they sent me away for a while on this one. <laughs> like it, They was done playing with me. But here it comes into the church, like, where's Austin at? The minister's gone. And it all come out into the light. What's done in the dark will eventually come into the light, right? And everything that, everything that I was doing was getting exposed. God was exposing it so I couldn't hide it no longer. So I couldn't, I couldn't keep it from people that I had to deal with it. And maybe that's you. Maybe this, this morning, maybe you feel like everything in your life has been exposed and that, that you're in just this terrible place. But let me tell you something. That is the greatest place that you can be because when everything's exposed, you are forced to change. You are forced to start doing something with what's been exposed. Amen. So I couldn't stay away from the drugs and alcohol and, and, and pornography. I couldn't do it. I, I just I, I seemed to, that no matter how many times I went to church, no matter how many prayers I prayed or how many times I bayed, I still was not strong enough or, or able to overcome those struggles. And what happened was I was left into this place that I was at a crossroads that for me, I've been all in. In anything that I do, I've been all in. And I know there's a lot of people listening and watching that, that they have that same kind of spirit that if you're going to do something, you're going to do it all the way. There's no halfway doing it. See, that was me. Like, And I was sitting there straddling the fence. You know what I mean? I'm trying to be this Christian, but I don't want to give up these things. You know, And that's where I was at. And I was at a crossroads that I was either going to go completely back into the world or I was going to give it all up. And I chose, I'll, I'll be truthful with you, I chose to go back out into the world and I was looking for any excuse that I could find to help me go back out there and around this time my friend died my best friend like my very best friend closest friend he died and I used that I grabbed a hold of it and I used it and I started I, I let it take me out I started using drugs I left my family uh, I was back in the most grimiest of places you can think I went from literally being a preacher to going back into the projects and to the drug homes and, and, and doing everything that I once did as a teenager. I went straight back into it. And then the, there's about a six-month, about a window from a November of 2016 to June of 2013, or, yeah, 2017, uh, that all this happened. And it was a very short window, like, Man, my, like when I went back out there, it wasn't for very long. God was very displeased in what I was doing, and it was horrific. My friend died. I'm completely strung out, worse than I've ever been mentally. Just I've never been in such a dark place mentally as I was at this time. I was in trouble with the law, catching charge after charge, um, and then I get shot. I get shot. I'm on, I'm on bond with a bondsman. There in the community, he bonded me out of jail for one of my charges that I had, and I was late to court. I didn't show up to court. He come to get me. I got a little irate, and he shot me with a forty-five caliber pistol, and it, it severed my leg completely in two. It took an inch and a half out of my leg. I had to have a big old 
deal. I got rods and pins in my leg now. I was uh, wheelchair bound for six months. But anyways, I was still facing, just because I got shot by my bondsman, all the stuff that I did did not go away. You know what I mean? So here I am, shot, can't walk. I mean, literally can't walk. My leg was huge. It was terrible. It was the most painful thing I've ever went through physically. And uh, they're telling us, Austin, you're going to prison. We're sending you to prison. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't even push, like, I can't even fend for myself, like, and just fears just started flooding me. So they sent me to prison in a wheelchair. I had to get pushed around by other prisoners. Uh, I, had to, I couldn't fend for myself. Luckily, I, I'm a pretty likable guy, you know, when I'm clean, <laughs> you know, uh, and I made it all right in there. Um, but while I was in prison, man, the Holy, uh, I, when I, when I got to prison, this is a very pivotal point in my story that I always love telling because God is so mighty to pulling down strongholds, man, he is great in what he does. And I'm so thankful, man, I, I just feel like this. Does anybody know the story of Job? Job lost everything. I just feel the Holy Spirit telling me to speak on this real quick. Job lost everything. In his life, he lost his kids, lost his home, lost his health. And he's sitting there in this place, and his wife was like, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job's response to that in the second chapter profounds me. He says, shall we not, shall we accept good and not the bad that God has for us? Shall we accept the good and not the bad? I mean, see, God wants to do something with our failures, and at that moment, God was orchestrating and he was writing out something with all the years of drug abuse, all the terrible things that I've seen as failures, that the society seen as failures, that my parents seen as failures. God was writing something down that only he could do and he was going to use it for his good. So I bring that up because in this moment, I'm sitting here in prison and I'm hurting, I'm broken, I'm desperate depressed i'm shot i'm having to have other prisoners push me around you know what i mean uh my my wife left me my parents wasn't talking to me like i felt lonely and left and i was an embarrassment to my community because when i started getting off the drugs all these thoughts of just what i did and the people that i affected it started flooding in on me and i was sitting in my bench one uh, on my bed there in prison one morning, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, reminded me of a story I had heard about a shepherd and a sheep. And I'm speaking, a, you know, a literal manner this morning that a shepherd, there's still shepherds that tend to their sheep to this day, and that they'll have this area, right? Just take this as the, the fold the, that the, the shepherds keep their sheep in, and the sheep's in here, right? And Every once in a while, the shepherd that tends to a sheep will see a sheep that gets out and goes astray. When that shepherd, he'll go out, get that sheep, and he'll bring him back in. And that same stubborn sheep sometimes will keep going out of the fence and bringing him back in. That's kind of how my life was. Like, I do good, you know what I mean, mess up. I do good, I'd mess up. Do good, I mess up. And in this moment... That shepherd eventually will go get the sheep after it gets out too many times. And he'll go out there and he will physically break the shepherd the sheep's legs. 
and put it on its shoulders, bring it back to the fold, and he'll teach that sheep how to listen to his voice again, how to feed again, how to stay in boundaries, and how to do what it's supposed to do. And God spoke to me, his Holy Spirit, right there, and the, I can remember it distinctly. I can even see myself sitting on that bed. The Holy Spirit spoke to me, said, Austin, he said, I could no longer spiritually break you. I had to physically break your legs in order to teach you to depend on me. And immediately I was encouraged. I was like, man, this prison isn't, you know what I mean? Like God's brought me to this place. I had to have my legs broke so I can be in this place that I never want to go back to that place again. That I never wanted to go back. I never, in that moment, I felt this just encouragement like I'm never coming back here again. I'm never going to walk through this process again. And while I was in prison, the Holy Spirit, which I had already previously been in ministry, the Holy Spirit began to use me in a crazy way. Revival started breaking out in prison. Thirteen, I led 13 people to the Lord while I was in prison. I'm talking about like the most broken of people, the most evil people that you could think of that's done horrific crimes. I, they're coming into my room, and I'm praying for them. They're bawling like babies because the Holy Spirit has fell upon them, and God has redeemed them. Matter of fact, I'm still in touch with some of them that they're doing good today amen but God started he, he there was people being healed in there and God used me in the most darkest moments of my life God used me in the most darkest moments of my life and I began to be encouraged about ministry again and you know I had all these plans and I get out of prison I get out of prison I get out of prison and uh, you know, the same cycle continues. I get out, everything changes, you know what I mean? You're back to the normal living. Things ain't as fiery and exciting as you, you have pictured is going to be, you know what I mean? I had all these big plans, and I get out, and I can't get a job because I'm on crutches, you know what I mean? I'm still suffering from my broken leg, you know? And, you know, just things went going right, and I start using again for a very brief period. And I knew immediately that I didn't want to do that. And I started reaching out to people. I reached out to my parole officer. And uh, she mentioned something about a sober living community in Springfield, Missouri. And I was like, man, I'm going to do anything. I'm going to try anything. So I had $300 to my name. I had a couple pairs of clothes. And I packed up. And I come to Springfield, Missouri. Uh, I didn't have no friends. I didn't have no family there. It was just me. And then this journey, you know. And I go to this place called New Beginnings, and I, you know, uh, I get tied in there, and they have this, they, they're tied into this, uh, this church, the well, that Kyle's talking about. And it, what happens in this uh, sober living is that for the first 30 days, you're required to go to the well, and you go to this Friday night redemption service. It's, it, it targets for addicts and just the most broken. We go off the, the, the marginalized, the most broken of people is who we go after. Anyways, I go to this service, and the very first night, God speaks to me in that back row. He said, you're going to be leading this service. He said, you're going to be leading this service. And I took God for what he said to me, and I started taking God for his word and believing God for everything he did. And I started, when I moved to Springfield, I began to journey on this process of recovery and redemption. As, as Kyle had mentioned in that Facebook post that I've been on a, uh, 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 you know, I've been on a journey from addiction to redemption. And I think that sounds pretty catchy and ringy because it's the truth. God 
started redeeming me from everything that I ever faced. You know what I mean? I didn't come into the sober living program just fixed. I didn't come here in a, a place. All I did was I come there, I brought myself, and I was open to whatever needed to take place, and I get tied into the well in Springfield, Missouri. And Brandon Lean, he's the, the preacher over redemption, and I get close to him, and we, you know, he starts working with me, mentoring me. And, man, I tell you something, man, I started uh, – I let go of smoking cigarettes. I let go of pornography. I let go of, of, of wandering and talking about things that I shouldn't have been talking about. And I started letting God heal the most broken parts of my life that had always prevented me, that had always prevented me from being everything that I needed to be in Christ. I started letting go of those failures. You know what? I am embarrassed about this, but I let go of it and I want to let God use it. And that's how I started looking at things. I started seeing things through kingdom eyes instead of my failures and what I couldn't do because of them. I started seeing what God can do because of them. Amen. And I go on this process of healing and recovery and I go, uh, I get enrolled in college. I've been in college for two years now, two and a half years actually, and I make straight A's. God is phenomenal at what he's doing and helping me with. And, and I become a local minister at this church. And in January this past of this year, I started leading that service. Amen. Two years later, after God spoke that word to me, and I come into the church, I started leading the service. And, and, and God has just been doing amazing miracles. And I got married last, last month to my beautiful wife, Dasha. She has a powerful story as well. And God is just doing amazing things in our lives right now. And I come today, and I hope this inspires you to look in yourself. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's you that's struggling or have struggled all your life, and you're at this place that you don't, you don't quite know what to do because you're, you're bound down by all this failure. You're bound down by all this embarrassment and this guilt and this shame of what you've done in life. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how far you go or how much you do. God and His Holy Spirit is here to help us and empower us to make it through every obstacle that we have to face. And I feel like Job today because I'm restored. And he got back double of what he lost. Amen? And, and that's what God does for us when we surrender to God and we allow Him to use the bad and the good. See, often as Christians, I see it a lot take place. I, I've, I've been in this journey for quite a while now. I'm a pretty discerning guy. We see that as soon as the first bad thing happens what do we do we try to take care of it ourselves and we don't wait and rest in God and we end up messing things up but I just hear in the spirit this morning that we just need to rest and wait for God it might not look like that it might look like a complete failure to you but God sees success in it your kid right now that's struggling with drugs and alcohol might look like he's headed for destruction but I'm here to tell you he's not too far for God to redeem and restore Amen. If you're listening in Columbus this morning, I encourage you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and begin to listen to what he wants to do in these times. In these times that look like a complete disaster. The, the worship team could come up here and start playing real quick. What God can do in, with these failures is, is, is um, it's amazing. There's no... There's no Reason why I should be up here. I shouldn't be up here today speaking to you. I was, my sentence should have been death. 
My sentence should have been life in prison. But God, he looked upon me. He said, you know what? I don't care about none of them failures. I don't care about all the drugs you use. I don't care about all the people you hurt. I don't care about all the lies you told or all the things you stole. All I care is if you take the call and begin telling people about Jesus. Amen. And maybe that's you this morning that God has he, He's put a, a, a seed within you to go tell people about Jesus. Let me tell you something. People are looking for people people that's going to be vulnerable and in this day and time with our world looking the way that it does we have to start getting vulnerable with people and we have to start telling people about God and what he can do with our failures that hey you aren't a cast out Jesus sets with people like me and you Jesus teaches people like me and you and it's time It's time that we rise up as a church, as a whole body. Yes, I'm here in Pittsburgh this morning, but we're joined together in hands in the Spirit, amen, all across the world, all across the globe. This is a global, this is a global thing. God, He's wanting to do something special in this season of life, and we all must take the call and look deep within ourselves to see past the failures. Amen. It reminds me of a story in John. My story reminds me of a story in John about the woman at the well. John 4, 28 through 29. It says, The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the city and came to him this woman she was bound by failure she had five different husbands she she was so embarrassed and so bound by her failures that she had to go get water when nobody else was around she had to go do things when nobody else was watching but god she encountered jesus christ at that well on that hot day she encountered jesus christ god made such an impact with her he knew all of her failures he knew everything that she did and he saved her she had such an impact with Christ that she left all the failures behind says she left the water pot she forgot her current situation she forgot that she was a divorcee five times she forgot that she was living with a man without being married she forgot all the things that she was doing. She, for, she forgot her current assignment, left that, and went and told, went into the city and told everybody, told all the men about this man named Jesus Christ. And this morning as we go into response, I encourage you, I encourage you to leave your water pot at these altars this morning. There in Columbus, if you have been dealing with failures your whole life, I encourage you to be like this woman and start seeing things through kingdom eyes. This woman, she no longer seen her failure. She's seen what God had did, and she wanted everybody to know. And that's me this morning. I want everybody to know what God can do for you if you surrender and believe this morning.
So whatever circumstance that that you are in, that your kids are in, that that family members or your friends are in, I encourage you to come down here and let their failures lay at these altars and watch what God can do because they might be the next great evangelist going across the United States telling people about God and seeing thousands thousands of souls saved. Amen. God is getting ready. When they get to go, let's respond this morning. Let's look deep within ourselves. Maybe maybe you've been straddling the fence. Maybe you come to church every Sunday and you just go through the motions. Maybe maybe it's you. Maybe your your life doesn't look like it's a complete wreck. Maybe maybe you have the white picket fence. Maybe you have things together. Maybe you have things going, but you just keep going through the cycle. If I pray this morning that if that's you, look deep within yourself to see what it is that's preventing you from moving forward. We don't, we're called to be extraordinary and peculiar people. We don't have to look like the rest of the world. That's what makes us peculiar when we're different. So I encourage you, if this message has spoke to you, if it has convicted you, If it has touched you, come down here and respond. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.